Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Kenny Wallace Show, brought to you by JEGS, the leader in high-performance aftermarket car parts. Remember to go to JEGS.com for everything and anything you need to do with your car. Well, I take a deep breath when I get excited like this. My dear friend, NASCAR Hall of Famer, he's won so many races and everything, Mark Martin. Mark, thanks for joining us. It's good to be with you, Kenny. Can't wait to do this thing. You got a beautiful home there, buddy. I love your roof. It looks very nice. Thank you. This is a library. I don't yeah. spend much time in here. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mark, you know what? We'll just jump right into it. Um, you know, the Kenny conversation is just that. It's a conversation. You and I have known each other forever. But, but the fans, Mark, they love you. And the first thing they all want to know is, what is Mark Martin up to? Where is he at? What's going on? <laughs> Man, I'm living life. I don't know how you could possibly be so dang busy and be retired. I sure didn't have time. You know, I wouldn't have time for a job right now. Yeah, tell you. And just stay, I don't know, stay really busy doing uh, doing the things I love. Uh, you know, get to see some family, uh, made, you know, some friends and uh, just living, living the good life. You know, Mark, we have so much to talk about. I've made notes, my friend, uh, but I get to see you. Your fans do see you on social media. And we've had this conversation before. You said to me, Herman, you got that dirt car and I have this motorhome. Buddy, those motorhomes that you are building for yourself are absolutely a piece of artwork. Uh, by the way, thank you for sharing your newest build. Tell us how this motorhome RV, uh, how this, this started. Well, first of all, uh, for the ones that aren't following along, uh, if they want to, they can go to one Mark Martin on Instagram or the uh, or the Mark Martin uh, official page on Facebook, either one. Um, and so this this build um, started about, you know, about six months ago. Um, and we just had to one up. It's my thing, just like you like your dirt modifieds or um yeah we need to have a thing right without a thing i'm in trouble we all um, are you know uh i'm in big trouble i i i i need to have something that that uh you know occupies my my time and my brain and gives me drive and 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 all that stuff so I, you know, I really love these things. Um, I like getting around. I like going around in them, but I like as much designing and finishing and protect and perfecting as, as I do anything. It's the process. It's just like building that new race car every year. You know, when we started racing, um, I don't know about you, but you know, we built a new, I built it, we built a new late model every year. And you built it better than the one before, and that's kind of what uh, what I do now. It's what 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 I enjoy. I built a new one uh, about every three years. So the last uh, this is my third one um, in um, you know in six years. So um, it's going to last me. I'm I'm planning on it sticking with me more than three years for sure. 
this one, we're taking it to the next level. So, you know, Mark, I see what's going on. You, you build these beautiful uh, motorhomes, buses. Uh, I think bus is a more high-end word for it. You build these. You use them for three years. They, they have the Mark Martin effect. They're absolutely beautiful. The wiring, you know, we get to watch it be built. And then I see people line up to pay you, if not the same, more for this beautiful bus because you've had it for three years. Have you had people already call you yet for this one you're building? This, uh, well, not for the one I'm building. Of course, <laughs> you know, the one, the one that we have uh, now presently has been uh, spoken for, for, I don't know, nine, nine months or so. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. Yeah. A good solid nine months. So uh, it's spoken for. Um, I wish I could buy one for me. I mean, right. it, the work that I put into one after it's finished is just astronomical. Uh, just making it mine yeah. and uh, perfecting things and making things work even better. And I just, it's my thing. You know, I don't like to be the handyman around the house. I do the things that I got to do, but uh you know vehicles are not really my thing golfing you know this is my golf game yeah you know i mean I, it I is my you know it is it's just what i love it's what i love to do yeah you know mark i just i just told i just saw uh i told my son-in-law brody i said brody i said for the last six months my life has been changing a little bit you know uh you know i've got two torn tendons in my shoulder I've got a little spot in my eye now. I've got cortisone shots in both my knees. I've got a fractured ball in my foot. I've got to find something that will occupy my time because I'm like you, Mark. If I don't go up to that shop and tinker with my race car, because see, you know this, all my work is in that shop. Going to the racetrack second. Right. So, Mark, I understand what you're saying. Uh, you have your motorhome, and I have my race shop. So, like you, you know, I'm trying to wean myself a little bit off this race car because my body's starting to fall apart. You, because I work on the car. Yeah, well, I know about the body falling apart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How are I you doing, identify. Mark? How's your body? Yeah, I got cortisone shots in both knees just recently. We're the knee uh, brothers. Yeah, buddy. Uh, you'd never <laughs> know that Kenny Wallace was dealing with pain. You oh, know, yeah. you would never know that. Yeah. Well, the same with me. You'd never know it, but, you know, from social media or whatever. But, right. you know, chronic pain, dude, chronic. Yeah. You know, um, I I got my knees jacked up. Uh, I had a total reverse. Hard. I had a total reverse shoulder replacement last summer. And uh, it's doing well, and and uh, I'm having a rotator cuff uh, repair in uh, in June of this year. So I'm gonna be out of commission again for those uh, those shoulder repairs. Those those shoulder surgeries are are probably the most major ones that you can do. And uh, you know I have uh, reoccurring back issues. You know my back will be. Uh, strong as an ox, solid as a rock, and then out of nowhere it'll flare up and 
give me hell for long periods of time. So yeah, that's part of getting old and part of going hard. And uh, we have both done that. Yeah, well, Mark, you're still the man. You're a legend. I know you're hardcore, meaning that, you know, you're all about business. Let, let's change it up a little bit. So, you know, like I said, you've done it all, Mark. In NASCAR, you're a winner. You're a Hall of Famer. But I believe, you know, besides you and I being forever friends, you know, the reason I say that is because when I was 12, I was watching you race, you know, my brother Rusty at Lake you know, Ozark Empire Fairgrounds in Springfield, Fort Smith, Arkansas. That's that's just a little bit of the background. So I was able to watch Mark Martin grow up. And what I think is stuck, besides you being great, and Mark, by the way, congratulations on, once again, that's an easy decision, one of the greatest race car drivers in NASCAR history. Uh, it's really nice gift they give you. Uh, Thank you. Thank so, you. Appreciate that. Yeah, you're the man. Um, my question is this. Um, I believe your your greatest accomplishment is the greatest race car drivers to ever live. Mark Martin, Rusty Wallace, Dale Earnhardt Sr. They respect you like, like Aretha Franklin, capital R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Mark, you got to know that everybody looks at you with just, they're just like, oh my God, Mark Martin. When when did you know that that was happening? Is there a span of five years? Was it 1999? Tell me about this respect that you definitely deserve. I think it all starts back from, you know, 19, probably 77 when Rusty and I uh, were racing and uh, and learning how to race with Dick Trickle and Bob Sineker and uh, Tom Refner and, you know, some of the legendary short track racers, learning the code, adhering to the code, um, racing with them and working. And respect is just not something that you can, you can't, you can't buy it and you can't force it. You can't make anybody do that. You don't get it because you win. You get it because you do it proper. Is that right? I I think that respect comes through time, and you earn it. I agree. And 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 it it takes a long time, you know, to build that. And and that the respect that I have been given by the competitors has been, you know, the crown jewel of my career. And it it. It, it took a long time to build that to where it is today. Yeah. So, so glad to hear you say that, you know, that uh, some people like to go, no, no, but you know, Mark, uh, you and I know that in the day, 1970s through the eighties, the great state of Wisconsin was the epicenter of asphalt short track racing. And they would, they would paint, they would paint a white line around the middle of the racetrack. And if somebody was on your outside and, and you moved up into that outer lane, they would black flag you. You you and I know that, you know, the great Dale Sr. also said, give me a lane. Give me a lane. And Mark, I, I know that you always gave another racer a lane to race you. Well, that was part of the culture. 
Um, you know, we were just very sportsmanlike. You know, we believed in may the best man win. We competed fiercely. Yes. But there wasn't any underhanded, you know, shenanigans pulled. It was, you know, may the best man win today. And if I got beat, I went straight to the shop. Um, and I, I learned that. at an early age when I was racing against Wayne Brooks and then later uh, Larry Carson and then later Larry Phillips and then later Dick Trickle and then later Dale Earnhardt. Wow. That I could win. I could beat them if I made my car good enough. And if I didn't, I wouldn't. I never considered out driving those guys. I just tried to beat them and I, I had to beat them with a better car. And that's where I kept my focus all through the, all through my career was on, on the vehicle. Mark, I love that conversation. Cause you know, I grew up with you and Rusty and Mark Martin. And that's one thing that Rusty, my brother pounded into my head was quit putting so much pressure on your ability as a driver. You know, when we were kids, we went to the local go-kart track and we, we'd watch those go-kart go around. And we always wanted the fastest go-kart. We didn't say put me on the slowest one. So it was you and Rusty and Larry Phillips that said, you know, make your car faster. So I guess the question is, do you feel like some of these kids nowadays, not, not that there's anything wrong with anybody, do you think maybe people lost focus on the speed of the car? Well, I mean, it's just a different age and a different era. And these kids come up, you know, we didn't have any video games to play or, or iRacing or anything like that, simulation of, of any sort. So these guys, you know, from really little kids start racing cars, even though it's simulated. Um, and they evolve right into the driver's seat of a race car. And it's just, that's different. And it's not all bad. I might've been a better driver if I would have put a little bit of emphasis on myself, but I never thought about it. You know, I mean, I just did what I did and I drove like I drove and I tried to learn and improve. But if I, you know, who knows if I would have studied the craft even harder than, than I did, uh, you know, in a similar way that I did the car side of it and the, the hardware side of it, who knows, it could have even possibly been better. But today, you know, most drivers don't know anything about their cars and that's okay. I mean, there's engineers and there's a team of people behind them to make them go when you and I got started racing. It, it, it was, was us. It, it was us. It was up to us. There was <laughs> yep. nobody. There was nobody around us that was more knowledgeable about those cars than than we were. I always so, said all you needed was somebody to tell Mark Martin when to pit. He'd set his own race car up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all. I mean, you too. You worked on race cars way before you ever started racing, Kenny and. Um, you know, that's just that, you know, that, that's just the, the part of it. We, we, we studied the cars and we knew that if we made our cars better, 
heck, man, I paid attention. I, I, you know, you'd have a guy who ran in the back all the time and all of a sudden he's running mid pack and I'd be, he's over there and go around his car. Not that he would ever outrun me, but he's done something to improve his deal. Let me see what that is, you know, and, and those are secrets now uh, that, you know, you, you can't, it's as much diff more difficult to look at other people's stuff as it was, you know, when we came up. Hey, R Rusty and I would tell each other what we had in our cars all the way through his final year. And in, in uh, you know, in 85, I mean, 05, 85, 05. Yeah. Rusty's last year, 05 or 06. I forgot to. Yeah, I think it's 05. <laughs> it's been I a long was, time. Yeah, I think it was 2005. So, you know, all through our careers, if we weren't running worth a damn, we could go see each other and say, look, man, I ain't running worth a damn. What do you, you got? Even teammates. What do you got? Yeah. And Rusty would always tell me. And uh, and I you would always tell him. Roush, he's driving for Penske and you're sharing exact truth information. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing about my relationship with Rusty was so cool because I I came to uh, Lake, what, Lake Hill Speedway? Yeah, Valley Park, Missouri. Yeah, in 70, yeah, I, remember. I think it was, I was yep. going somewhere Didn't and I stop? stopped in there to watch him race and he was so damn excited. Oh, we uh, all were. Mark Martin it, it was there. It, it, it shocked the whole racetrack. Well, this guy came over and said, Rusty, how much tow out you run? He said, I run five eights in. What? I, in you world? know, of course he was lying to the guy. <laughs> And, but he never lied to me, yeah. ever. So that was uh, that was a, a really strong bond because I appreciated that. Um, that night he was running second to Gettelmeyer, and uh, Gettelmeyer. yeah, he run he he spun his ass out. To get you remember win. that damn name? Rusty spun Lynn out because you were there. He wanted That's to exactly right. <laughs> but he spun Lynn out, and you're like, "What'd you do that for?" Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. Mark, listen, this, this is the Kenny conversation. It's not an interview. We're discussing. So you kind of led me in this area. There's no doubt in my mind that you were in, in my era. Uh, I was born in 1963. You were the first driver I ever witnessed in my life to come along at like 12, 14 years old. You were running ARCO and ASA at 15 years old and winning the biggest races of all time. What was it like for you to be in a child and winning these 400 lap races? What do you remember about that? Well, to get accurate, dead on accurate, you know, I was running art go races in, at, at, at 18, 18. Uh, but I was 110 pounds and looked 10. You did. <laughs> and, that was a, 18 was a big, big, big deal back then, back then it's, it's old now, but back then it was, you know, I mean, it, people were losing their mind because this kid, you know, was, was racing with these hot dogs and every once in a while we beat him, you know, we beat 
uh, we beat Larry uh, several times at Springfield at the fairgrounds, which was a huge deal. Rusty beat, Rusty beat us, Larry and I, uh, a few times as well. Larry got his share um, as well. But, uh, you know, that's kind of where it started. When, when, when I was able to beat Larry at Springfield, that was a big deal. In 76, I was still running my late model and dirt car. And I went to Bolivar for a big race, and they had a bounty on Ken Essery. And fifty-five. Yes, sir. And I had to make my way into the race through the C, then the B, then the A. And I didn't know how to run dry slick because it was mud tracks and clay back where I came from. And we uh, started the back. I hugged the bottom. There's moisture there. Everybody's running the black. I just passed some cars, passing cars. When the checkered flag came out, I didn't even know I won. Oh, my. You were so focused. Yeah, I won the race. And Ken, I think, from looking back on it, I think Ken runs second. But, you know, there were goals. You know, there were there were legends in that race. And I was 17 years old and didn't have a clue. Good thing but you didn't know who they were. I hardly. I hardly I think knew that's a good thing. Yeah, I had heard of Ken Essery, but anyway, that was a huge win in my career. Uh, and then the following year, you know, we 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 managed to beat Larry a, a few times, and then we, you know, and and I believe it's around September, uh, they had the national short track championship at Rockford, Illinois, mm. and. We thought, well, let's go from Batesville up to the National Short Track Championship. We'll get to race with the greatest in the nation. And you did. And we and and, and we set second fast time, triples fast time. We were second fast time. And all the legends, I look back, you know, that's 1977. All the legends were there. All the short track legends were there. And I had some help. In, and they inverted 12 cars, a 200 lapper. And I had some help in the race. Uh, some of the, uh, uh, a few of the hot dogs had some problems. But we won that race. And we had no idea. And if you want to know what the biggest win of my career is, that contends for the biggest win of my career. It was unbelievable. We had no idea we could do something like that. Nice. And so, you know, that just, you know, that, that sort of went along with picking up other other wins and you know winning ASA races. It was seventy eight before I won ASA race. I won the championship too in seventy eight um, at nineteen years old, and that might as well have been twelve. You know, back then people, you know, and all of that stuff just continued to springboard me toward NASCAR, and uh, you know, in nineteen eighty. We won our third ASA championship in a row and had incredible. the had the most incredible season you could have ever had with a car, with a revolutionary car that Ray Dillon and I designed together that everybody had to have. I mean, your brother had to buy one. Dick Triple had to buy. You know, every, I got every, one in 1986. They're the best. <laughs> I mean, you know, everybody had to have one. It was unbelievable. But anyway. After that year, it was like, dude, I got to, it's, it's time to make the spring, you know, it's time to take the steps. So we just, uh, you know, it, it was, 
like climbing a ladder or climbing a, a set of stairs. It was one rung at a time, just like the respect. It was gained just, you know, an ounce at a time until it finally added up to, you know, a pound. Yeah, so this conversation and listening to you, you said at Rockford, you know, they inverted the field. You had some help along the way. I mean this with love. I'm not picking on you. Do you ever think that you're you're too hard on yourself? Yeah, I'm 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 way too hard on myself. Uh and it's a curse, but it is who I am. I have learned to embrace who I am Good. and to minorly tweak who I am is possible, but to change who I am ain't going to work. It ain't don't, it, it causes problems. I've tried to do it. And yeah. in the end, it's, it caused more problems than just embracing who and what you are. So yeah, I'm pretty rough on myself. Um, I am, you know, known to be kind of humble and I'll step outside of being humble at times, but publicly um, it's important for people to know that I got my ass kicked and I, <laughs> and it wasn't easy for me. Yep. And I rose to the, the, the top of motorsports at a super early age and then I fell flat on my face and lost it all and that changed me you know to that changed me to the the humble side which is a good side I mean uh, I, I don't know how I would have turned out had I not had that humongous failure in 1982 and 83. So I, I don't want to beat a dead horse that that story might have been told, but I don't think it's real popular. You're, you're saying that you think throughout your life that was the turning point of when you 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 were you were doing your deal, but you went to NASCAR. It didn't work. You came back. Then you get the call from you know Jack Roush and Meal. But when you went back to NASCAR, that's when you said you feel like that's when you changed a little bit, being a little more hardcore. Um, I changed. I still was pretty hardcore. I didn't have to work on my race cars anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I had great smart people that could work on them. But that moment and, of failure, that, that, that two years were, you know, NASCAR, you know, it, it didn't work for you in NASCAR. You, I think what I'm hearing is that you said that ain't going to happen again. Yeah. Well, I was careful. I wasn't careful the first time I had a little ASA team with a little group of guys that changed, did fabulous pit stops and everything else. And we went, we went NASCAR racing in 81 and, um, in our, uh, in our third race, we sat on the pole and finished 11th. And in the fourth race, we, uh, we ran, uh, we, we, we qualify, uh, we finished third in the fourth race or the fifth race. We ran, um, we sat on the pole and I started one lap down last place, one lap down. Cause the car, um, David Levendahl, uh, forgot and left a rag in the carburetor and put the air cleaner on it. So it wouldn't start long story short, 
we were banging wheels with Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty and all those guys. We were doing pit stops. We finished third at Martinsville doing pit stops against Junior Johnson and with your uh, own ASA team, Bud Moore and everything. So we thought. So I thought I was hot stuff. Hmm. Never thought about that. Well, after will... after that last race, that that Martin's uh, that uh, Richmond race, we went home and I was working in my uninsulated pole barn in North hmm. Liberty, Indiana. I remember. And the phone rings and it's I am hello, Mark. It's Waddell Wilson. Mm. like to know if you'd be interested in driving the 28 car. Oh my, I never knew this. Yeah. The 28 car that sat on the pole in Daytona in 1982, that I'd have been in that car. Of course, Benny Parsons was in it and he got fired after seven races. So who's to say I would have succeeded. I don't know that I was ready to drive better than Benny Parsons. Anyway, you know what I said? Obviously no. No, Waddell, I'd rather wow. do my own. I'd rather do my own deal. Wow! And because I would have had to fire David Levendahl, Banjo Grimm, and I'd have had to get rid of prototype engines that was giving me free engines, and I just would have had to. I just didn't seem like anything. Besides, I thought I could beat them. I didn't run third. You know, set on two poles out of five races. I thought, man, I can take my little program. I don't need no sponsor. I'll win a race in the first five, six, eight, ten races. And I'll and be NASCAR. a millionaire. And I'll be NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I did it. You were ready. I moved to Charlotte, built me a car, went to Daytona. Run terrible and blew up. And had to fire my crew chief on Sunday morning before the race. Mm. So I, you know, I left Daytona broke. And uh, we never ran as good the whole year. I ran the whole year, but I, I went broke. And at the end of the year, I had to have an auction and sell every everything mm. I owned in the shop. This is painful. To pay off Goodyear and Hutchison Pagan. And I paid them off and I said, I'll never own a race team again. Yeah. And so I got the call in December, early January. Mark is JD Stacy. You want to drive the two car? That's the two car that Tim Witch Richmond won two races in in 82. And I said, Hell yeah. I had no idea that the team was going broke and that Dale Inman wouldn't be there anymore. And, you know, it was underfunded instead of being the team that it was the year in 82. He didn't and tell it, you the details. In seven races. Well, hell, I was so confident in myself. He said, well, get your lawyer, do up a contract. I said, I don't need no contract. Oh, you know, I don't need no contract. We'll just do this deal. So we ran seven races and I got fired. Mm. Said, said they want, wanted somebody with more experience. And we'd run seventh and third, you know, and, you know, was we ran good, but not good enough. And so after getting fired, I no nobody in NASCAR would touch me. So, this, so that's, that's a I cautionary had, tale. So I had to, had to move back to Wisconsin. First guy I called was Ray Dillon because I free 
cars is what I used to get. I'm back. <laughs> he said, Mark, days of free cars are over. I had no money. I had no tool. I had nothing. And so it was hell getting us getting a program going for 1984. And we we managed to win one ASA race and some Martin go races. And the next year I got to go drive for uh, Jerry Gunderman with Miller High Life as sponsorship and yeah. Jimmy Finning as yeah. a crew chief. And we won, you know, four races and but we blew too many motors because it was uh, we we had uh, Ron Neal prototype doing Ford motors and he didn't have it perfected yet. And so then uh, in 86, we won five races in the championship. And at the end of the year, I got a call to go bush racing for more money than I was making in ASA winning the championship. And Jimmy Finney had the opportunity to go be Bobby Allison's crew chief in NASCAR. Oh yeah. And Jimmy said, I ain't going if you're staying. And I said, well, then we're both going. Because I could not bear the thought of Jimmy Finney not taking you know, the NASCAR opportunity. So when Jack, you know, so we won three Bush races in 87 after the second win, you know, our third win, Jack, you know, calls. And I didn't really have any plans on going NASCAR racing again, but the, you know, the deal seemed right. I went and met with Jack. And I didn't ask him what he was going to pay. I asked him how many tires he's going to buy, who he's going to hire, what kind of cars he's going to use, and could we test enough? And he said, we're doing all that. And we stood up and shook hands. And I found out later that what I was getting paid, and it, it wasn't much. But it didn't matter. I wanted another chance. And Jack Roush was the only person willing to give me a chance, give me another a second chance. Mm -hmm. And for that reason and others, I stayed with him for 19 years. Mark, let me tell you, I, I read books before and I learned what the word cautionary tale means. It means listen to this story, caution, because, you know, Rusty, my big brother taught me this saying, and I share it on social media every once in a while. And it goes like this. It's sad to say, but you have to remind people every once in a while because they remember what they want to. And what you just told me was a cautionary tale that Mark Martin just didn't jump into NASCAR and kick their butt. You, you had a rough road. Now, when you got back there and you got settled, you became a Hall of Fame racer, but it's an incredible and cautionary tale. You know, it wasn't a bed of roses. I really well, appreciate you that telling me that story. Well, that all comes back to, you know, the thing, cautionary tale, careful of being overconfident. Yeah. You know, and I had confidence. I had a damn reason to be confident. That's why you're the way you are. You just told exactly. me. Exactly. I just told you why I, that explains you know, the, uh, in the modesty, you don't have euphoria. You're just, I just, you know, dude, I took a beat down 
and my story is not what happened after my first NASCAR win. Right. My story is what happened leading up to that. That's Man, the I'm real exhausted. story. And that's what we're working on. Uh, someday uh, we will have uh, a really kick butt book. We're, we've been working on it already a year and I it see. may be another, you know, it may be another year or two before it's available, but it's, you know, it's going to detail a lot about what led up to, you know, my childhood and what shaped me into the person I was and then how I got myself into a situation of being overconfident and not knowing, you know, I didn't ever go to, I'd never been in the pits of a NASCAR race when I showed up for my first cup race. I'd never even been anything but in the grandstands. So I didn't know what I was getting into. So I read, you know, I, I just, I'm, I mean, I am a, I am a horse with blinders on when I need to be, but I, I do have peripheral vision. As you're going through this book that will come out whenever it comes out that you're talking about right now, is this book therapeutic for you or is there a lot of pain going through writing this book? I've been able to suppress the pain. So I've, you know, I'm at total comfort with all the hardship that I went through. I'm grateful for the failure uh, because that's, that made me the person I am today. And I don't like to think about what I might be like had I gone to the Daytona 500 in 1982 in the, in, in, in the, in the uh, 28 car. Yeah. Right. And won the Daytona 500. I yeah. shudder to think the man that I would be today. Um, I just, I'm grateful for my experiences. Uh, we had a lot of disappointment in NASCAR especially in the six car and the Roush days. And I'm not bitter about that. I'm just damn thankful that I got you to work. You came out alive, buddy. Yeah. You came out alive. You know, just, geez, think better about. bad. Think about all the great people in motorsports I got to work with and all the great things and all the checkered flags and all the good days. And you know, a lot of people want to, you know, talk, uh, you know, talk crap about that. I didn't win a championship. Oh, that, right? that, you know, those are meant to me, be Mark. They're meant they, to be, or they call me Mr. Second place. Well, I accidentally stumbled into 96 NASCAR wins and, you know, in, in the top three series. So I might be Mr. Second place. I understand that, but I, I, I accidentally screwed up. And one ninety six of them, and you know when you think about, and that's getting away from being modest, but it's the truth. You oh, know, I like um, hearing this because I think everybody's like this. I got a text the other day that said that uh, in a hundred, I believe it was a hundred and one races or something like that, that I was either first or second. Yeah. Okay, so hell, I won forty, so I only ran, you know, like sixty-one times. I ran second, so I, yeah, I ran second more than I ran first. I, I'm sorry, apologize if that hurts your feelings, but I'm pretty damn happy about it. You know, makes it means I ran good. The the, the those people that talk like that, they're not happy with themselves, so they want to lash out 
you know, and, and what I always say to those people, first of all, is go F yourself. <laughs> Charlie won't let me cuss on these shows, but I say it just hardcore. Look, go and, and what's your end game here, bud? You doing this to make yourself feel better. But let, let's lighten it up a little bit, Mark. First of all, you're the man. You are. You're, you're Listen, that, that Hall of Fame is no joke. That That's one tough-ass group. And if you're in the Hall of Fame, you're somebody. So you're somebody. Let's lighten it up a little bit because I do want to talk a little bit of NASCAR. Um, this one might catch you off guard a little bit, but let's let's talk about your son, Matt. I love him. He is such a well-structured man. And it has totally shocked me that he collects fictional books, sells them. Tell me about Matt. I wish he was right next to you right now. Well, his his passion is... is um... Um, sort of rare books. That's where what his passion is. So he, you know, that uh, that's what he would love to be in business doing. So he he set up a a, a rose rare books. I see. Um, and he has a lot of uh, first edition, first printing wow. books that, and you know, he's you know he's got a couple from eighteen sixty something. So he's got lots of books that are over 100 years old that are in pristine condition. And so that's kind of his passion. But what he's done, uh, you know, uh, lately has been to um, start the Mark Martin Archive. I see. And it all, I love it. All started with the book. Oh. So he thought, eh, Instagram page will help promote this book. So he started oh. that. Well, it just blew up and went crazy and. He's such a perfectionist in things. I have two new t-shirts and I wear them. That, yes, sir. And you look good. And I'll take <laughs> so anyway, long story short, Mark Martin Archive uh, on Instagram kind of started that. Um, and then, you know, people started going, well, wanting merchandise. So, uh, and you know this, but you're the, most of the listeners don't know this, uh, so we opened a store, markmartinarchive.com, and nobody has any idea how hard it is to get the approvals to do any uh, diecast, for example. Um, you know, the first uh, first thing would come out of the gate, want to do, uh, do the Folgers car. Nobody on the face of the earth knows how to get a hold of the Folgers uh, legal team that would approve it. But, you know, through a chain of events and about six, six months of working on it, we made that happen. Got the same thing from Stroh's. Oh, you'll never get me, you know, you'll never get approval from Stroh's. Well, Matt actually uh, was able to reach out through their social media, got into the right contacts. So we, long story short, my first win diecast from 1989 uh Rockingham yeah is uh and this is a great story it is up for pre-order it's going to come out probably in June uh there's not many left there's only going to be 700 made in real it's, it's in real it's the it's the real deal it has at the end of that race it had silver wheels on the left and black wheels on the right and guess who the silver wheels came from? 
Rusty Wallace. Was, Rusty. was it the Gatorade car? What, what were those silver wheels? Uh, I think he was in the Kodiak car. Okay. In, in 89. He was in the, but he run several wheels and we must have, my guys must have traded tires to get the stagger where we wanted it. We did that back then. Any, yeah, you know, you would see that. So anyway, long story short, he did that, got that, got the Folgers win from North Wilkesboro, that car's up for pre-order. Uh, got the Talladega car uh, where we ran 500 miles and in, averaged 188.3 for 500 miles. So it was caution yeah. free, 500 miler in 1997, the Talladega. That record will never be broken, 188.3. for So that's up for pre-order. Uh, we got that approval. And gosh, here's another uh, super and this cool. This is all car. Matt. This is your son doing all this. Yeah, he's doing it all. I, I mean, I've helped him some. I, I helped get the Folgers thing. But beyond that, uh, and I got, uh, uh, got him the right Valvoline contacts. But uh, and he's working with Lionel for that. But he's also doing incredible retro T-shirts that just blowing everybody away. So that's Matt. His uh, his real passion is rare books. But his passion right now has been learning about my career. He knows more about Rusty's career than I do, and he knows more about my career than I do, uh, except for predating. You know my SA stuff. I know everything and every time every time there's a hair out of place on that deal i know but i i lost track in nascar because i didn't build those cars my hands yeah. weren't all over them and it you know so so i don't know but i can tell you what springs and the entire setup from rockford winning rockford the national short track championship will tell you what was tell you what was under the car I tell you what was under the car at Owasso, Michigan, uh, earlier that year, uh, or at or at New Smyrna at our first race that year. I know what springs and sway bar and weight distribution and everything. And that that means you're sharp. That your our bodies might be getting a little old, but you're <laughs> sharp. And I must say that Matt Matt does share some pictures with me. You know, we got each other's phone number, and he'll send me a picture. And the one, it, my phone's right here, but I don't want to take the time to look at it. The most famous one that I like lately is you and Rusty uh, at Springfield with Rusty's bread truck. And, and I think Rusty's standing up and you're kind of laying down a little bit. But th those pictures are magical. And I do want to comment on something else that you said you're building 700 of these number six Stroh's cars. Or, or Is that right? That's all that are going to be made. That's what I want to make a point about. You're the real deal. We're not making more, just 700. It ain't a, yeah, it ain't about, it's immediate collector's item. Yeah. They're going to immediately be worth 200 bucks the first day one and only going to go up from there. Oh, that's Matt's deal. It ain't about, it's about collector's items. So all these die casts are going to be limited only to 700. And yeah. like, uh, I know the Talladega car, you know, there's uh, like 400 signed and 300 unsigned. Uh, Mark Martin Archive exclusively.com is selling them. And last I checked, there was like 12 autographed ones left. The rest are already sold out. 
See, and there's only <laughs> there's only about a hundred, you know, a hundred of the unsigned left, and they're gonna they're gonna they're not even gonna start delivering until June. Yeah, I love it. Well, Mark, let's change the subject a little bit. We, we're coming down to the end here. Uh, I want to talk NASCAR just a little bit, and then I want to ask you one final question, Mark. You know, your voice matters. You uh, people listen to you. So I've got to ask you about NASCAR. Uh, this new next-gen car, uh, what is your thoughts on just that car coming into NASCAR? First thought that comes to mind that is not a popular fan, uh, you know, um, opinion, but I've seen the best racing in NASCAR history since that car has come out. I agree. Best racing on track in history. The best in history. So stop complaining about it. Right. Um, the other side of it is I don't like it. Would hate it. Would hate to be driving now. The guys hate working on them. And they ain't saved no money yet. Uh, so I'm not a lover of the car. It looks like a, a sports car underneath. You know, it doesn't look like a NASCAR car. I've already told you. I don't like sour grapes. I don't like old people saying how great it was when they were growing up and how junk it is now because I was a young guy and I had to listen to that when I, I was coming up and I'm not going to do that. It is what it is. The concept was solid. The concept of the car was solid. Uh, and the damn competition is unbelievable. So it is here. It's here to stay. Let's improve on it and go forward. The only other thing I want to say about NASCAR is you said my voice matters. I it say does. it does. I got more questions about that car. It, it, it matters to fans. It doesn't matter to the important people. It doesn't matter that much to NASCAR. I've never had NASCAR's ear like Dale Sr. had. Um, you know, and I've never been a political guy, but, uh, you know, it, 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 it is what it is. That car is what it is. And we should just make the most of it going forward. So the other facet of this car is the crazy hardcore tech inspection that comes along with the penalties. So you and I right now, you know, we're breaking this car down in segments. I agree with you. Car's been incredible. I love the racing. Give me your opinion of the tech inspection and then the penalties that come out. You know, we race on Sunday. We get these, you know, on Wednesday and Thursday. Give me your opinion on tech inspection and penalties. I don't, I don't like it. I, I, you know, I just reflect on Denny Hamlin getting the race taken away over a piece of helicopter tape. I understand. I get it. I understand that NASCAR has to have tight tolerances. I understand where we are today. Don't make me like it. Um, I think that, you know, these penalties have to be done. Uh, I don't like seeing appeals being overturned or lightened up. Uh, they didn't, they didn't on mine. My most critical one 
you know, they they should have they should have two inch pacer at Richmond. Yeah, we, we, you know, we, but but they didn't back in the day when they made a decision. That was a decision. Now it's more complicated. What happened back in the day, even in nineteen in the mid nineties, you go to the racetrack, get beat, you come cut the body off. You could push the tail to the right an inch and push the nose to the left an inch. You can't do that. 70,000 will get you thrown out of here. Your fingernail, your fingernail. Yeah. yeah. And that's the biggest tolerance. You know, there's a reason for that. So because me... we, we kept pushing and kept pushing and you know better than I, you, you're, you know more than I do, but I'll give you a good analogy. Dirt late models are the last best racing we have because they have some rules, but they don't have so dang many that you can't breathe. And, and it's really cool. And, and your modified stuff, maybe I'm not as, I have my finger on the pulse of Davenport's car and team and, program so i kind of know i still am a, but if, if you want able to enjoy dirt late model it's purity into the core and not just the on track experience or product uh you know asphalt late models it's it's over it's right. just like nascar i mean it's you can't do nothing and it happens all the time these guys, you know, get wins taken away, the snowball derby and this deal and that deal. It's the day we live in. There's so many smart people pushing so many buttons that you, you, you had to regulate this. Well, first you had a long template. Everybody cheated all over the car everywhere else. So then you put cross templates on it. Then you just cheated and everywhere else. Then you put the claw on it. Then you just cheated in between the claw. You're taking us along the steps of all the and, inspections. Yeah, and then you get the eagle eye scan thing, you know, and it's like, that's how it is. It's how we we forced it to be that way because there wasn't two or three smart people around. There were hundreds doing it everywhere. And you just shouldn't complain about all this tech inspection stuff. It has to be tight and it has to be enforced. So I, w I just want to, I, I got to go back because you brought it up. I'm going to say it and then I'll probably, it, it might be said wrong, but I want you to fix what I say. In my opinion, you were going to win the NASCAR cup championship, but you were th that motor and that race car, uh, had two one-inch spacers. If it would have been welded together and been just a solid two-inch spacer, they would not have penalized you. But but that moment in time, you were found illegal, and it cost you the NASCAR championship because they took so many points away. You went to Atlanta. The motor burst into ball flames, which was a Yates motor. No. Okay, fix that. Was, that was the year before. Okay, well, tell me. If, okay, you're right. All right, let's go with that penalty. That's the one I want to talk about. All right, so we there. Uh, NASCAR's been allowing uh, you to weld to the top of the intake manifold because people were fussing about some manufacturer had a short manifold and the carburetor spacer was only allowed to be 
inch and a half, I think it was at the time, I think. And so uh, somebody's car uh, intake was too short. So they decided to let you weld on top of the intake manifold. So you could weld 12 inches on the freaking manifold if you wanted. But on the letter of the law, the spacer said it had to be a max of inch and a half. So everybody and us and everybody else were welding up the intake manifold to put them where they, where they, you know, where right up against the hood, basically. You want your air cleaner up against the hood. Basically is what it was. Well, we got ready to go to Richmond. Robin put the uh, uh, air cleaner on it, closed the hood, and it's like, damn, you know, this thing needs to be moved up a half inch. So he takes it apart. He ain't got time. He's, we're running late. So he puts a two-inch spacer on it. Don't matter. You know, they're not enforcing this rule anymore. You can be as tall as you want. We passed tech four times, three times, whatever, pre, you know, pre-tech, qualifying tech, after tech, pre-race, after the race. I'm not throwing, I'm not throwing Richard Childress under the bus, but he was walking with a NASCAR official and points to our thing and says, there it is. Yeah. Bill French Jr. used to always go to the races, but he didn't go to this one. And he wasn't there. So they call him up on the phone. And he probably isn't as aware as the NASCAR officials that they've been letting him weld to the intake manifold. And long story the totality short. of where he got to. Long story short, he says, put them at the back of the, uh, find them 46,000 and put them at the back of the one lap, one lap down. Ugh. That cost us 46 points. So we come out of the gate. We're real strong. We run third in the points the year before, our second year together with Roush. Um, and that's where I blew up at Atlanta. I was actually second in the points when I blew up at Atlanta in 89, our second year. So anyway, we take the point lead in May. So you can whine about the penalty if you want, but we led the points from May all the way to the next to last race at Phoenix. We go to Phoenix. Dale Earnhardt sits on the pole, leads most laps, and wins the race. And we run 10th mm. and never lead a lap. Gotcha. So you can also say we that's where we lost the, race, the championship. Because we went from leading the points to behind going into Atlanta. Right. And so we go to Atlanta to test. Earnhardt shows up to test two. We take three cars. We beat our brains out. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. And the 28 car was setting up there. Earnhardt shows up. He runs about an hour and a half. He's quicker than everybody. <laughs> he puts it on the trailer and leaves. Goes hunting. Yeah. And... We, they asked me if I want to drive the 28 car. So I go up there and put the rags in the seat and I go out there. And the first time by, I'm like a quarter of a second faster than my fastest lap. And you know, three fit in the seat of my three cars. And so 
it's this all this is going to be detailed in the book so i'm not going to go into okay yeah that's good detail but at the end of the day we borrow that car and a, a yates motor for the race and you can say that's why we lost it championship yeah. too a lot of people do but we ran first of all matt pointed out to me recently that we ran out of gas twice in the race and uh had a ignition box go out <laughs> so in black and white we ran sixth and earnhardt ran third and we lost by 26 points so what that means is Really, the only way I could have won the championship was win the race. Yeah. What makes you think that I would have won the race with one of my cars? Right. Yeah. Which was which a quarter second slower. Which would have drove a little bit better than Davy's old blow snout, but it would have had 60 less horsepower. Mm, yeah, yeah. Roush, Roush never had horsepower. You you made those motors look good. So, true or false? We I'm not gonna say, but I'll tell you this: <laughs> you know, okay. I always worked on on center of the corner speed. Always roll the corner. Always roll ASA and everything. So, long story short, uh, there were there were multiple. You know, the you know there were. We lost the championship in two different ways, but I don't think there was any chance that we would have went there and won the race with our own car. We, we had only won three races the whole season. Why would you expect to be able to pull Atlanta off? Yeah. So we, we got here because we're talking about the next-gen car. We're talking about tech inspection and penalties. So we've wrapped that up. Uh, I want to – one last thing, or a couple questions more. Uh Beating and banging. So I talked to, I talked to, you know, I went to Bristol and they just are knocking the hell out of each other because the car's like a German tank and they can get away with it. The, the front of the car is so strong that they're just, as you see it, me and you watch the races and I talked to these guys still. I asked Austin Dillon, I said, Austin, I said, why in the hell are y'all just knocking the hell out of each other? He says, Kenny, we used to have to guard against it because we knocked the radiator out. He says, these cars are so strong, it's the only way we pay them back. What is your opinion on just the totality of knocking the hell out of each other nowadays? It's a different day and age, Kenny, and, yeah. you know, embrace it. I like the contact. Uh, I don't like seeing dirty. I, I like seeing racing side by side, race your guts out. Door okay marks. if you rub some. Um, I'm all good with that. I don't like seeing... You know, I'm not a big fan of bump, bump and run, but this stuff's fun to watch. Racing on product on the racetrack is uh, is fun. It's a different day and age. Everybody's cars are closer together in speed, harder to pass. We used to be able to car so dang light, you couldn't touch somebody or mess something up. So light. But, uh, you know, it's a different day and age. Yeah. And I embrace it. It's, it is what it is. I like it. So, uh, We've had a lot of hardship in this interview, but very therapeutic. What is, let's wrap NASCAR up right now. What is good about NASCAR? The competition on the racetrack. Uh, they, 
Uh, it's the crown jewel of stock car racing. It still is, has been, you know, since the 60s, 50s or 60s. Um, and it's an opportunity for a lot of people to realize their dreams, which is work on, on uh, you know, big time race, race cars and race teams. I, uh, I asked Chip Ganassi one time when I was uh, working for that NASCAR race day show. We had Chip Ganassi on. I said, Chip, you've won all these Indianapolis 500s. You're the greatest IndyCar owner, you know, second to Roger Penske. Why do you want to be NASCAR? Chip Ganassi kind of gave me the same answer you did. He said, because NASCAR is where the show's at. Yeah. So he's right. He's right. Mark, let's end it like this, buddy. Uh, When you look back on your career, it could be at any time, but during your racing career, what was the most happy you ever were in your racing career? What time? 2007, when I went and drove the 01 car for a limited schedule. Bill and, Davis. Yeah, it, uh, that was again uh, in uh, the Army car, 01 Army car, 07. Then um, 09 was real happy, too, with uh, Rick Hendrick in the five car. We set on about seven poles and won five races uh, in 2009, and it was just, it was a blast. What a blast. Mark, you were, you were wonderful. I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, this was a great time. We, we, as you know, we keep going on and on, but that was very therapeutic for me. You, you taught me a lot. And uh, listen, we're going to wrap it up. We want to let everybody know that we are in podcast form now. So uh, what a great interview. You put the earbuds in, you go to work, and uh, we're in uh, Spotify, iTunes. So check us out. The Kenny Wallace Show Kenny's conversation just keeps on rolling. And uh, until next time, we'll see y'all later.